Jesus redefines for us what friendship looks like. He says friendship is closeness. It's, it's this idea of sharing your life with someone. It's this amazing thing that Jesus does where he makes himself vulnerable to be cut, even to the point where he's cut upon the cross that his, his side is pierced for us. He offered himself to humanity and said, I'm here not to call you slave and to bring you under my kingdom against your will, but I offer myself to you freely as a friend and we crucified him for it. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Let's stand together as we read God's word, starting in verse 9, John chapter 15, verse 9. It says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this evening, and Lord, we pray, God, that you would speak to us in a mighty and powerful way. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who loves us, and uh, whatever we've come in with today or gone through this week, Lord, we thank you that that love hasn't changed, Um, and we're so thankful, God, that you um, are a God who longs to be with us, and we're, we're We're so thankful, God, that you're here with us tonight in this place. And so as we spend time in your word, learning of you, and um, God, we pray that you would teach us in the power of the Holy Spirit that we might draw closer to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. John chapter 15, um, Jesus has now been discussing the topic of relationships. And just to give you some context to where we are, um, we are at the, the feast of... Um, Passover, Um, Judas has left the upper room to go and betray Jesus uh, there in chapter 13. And as as Jesus now has his 11 true disciples, he begins to have this discourse with them. It's called the upper room discourse, but he's left the upper room um, somewhere, I believe it's at the end of of chapter 14. Um, And so they arise, they they go from there to the place Uh, heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be betrayed by Judas and arrested. And so we're in this last kind of 24-hour period of Jesus' life. And the rest of the book is covering those those, um, last few hours of his life. Um, But Jesus begins to speak to his disciples. And so we have to, again, come come to the book, come to the chapter, understanding who he's talking to. This is talking to those that believe in Jesus for salvation, they believe in him as the Messiah. Those are, these are his disciples, his closest followers, those that, that have followed him from the beginning. Um, and so as he's speaking to them, we also can take what he's speaking to them and apply it to ourselves as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, uh, if, if that is who you are. If you know Jesus, if you've asked him as your Lord and Savior into your heart, you're a believer in, in Christ, okay, this applies to you. Jesus is speaking to you. These words in red are something that God uh, wrote in his word that we might know him uh, in a deeper way. Now, Jesus has been discussing this topic of relationship. And last week we looked at verses 1 through 8. 
we looked at our relationship with Jesus and he used the metaphor of a vine and branches. And so we broke it down and looked at the four characters of that metaphor. There's the vine, the branches, the vine dresser, and the fruit. The vine being Jesus, uh, the branches being us, um, the vine dresser being the father, the one who trims and prunes the vine, and also the fruit, which is the, the life that Jesus produces in us. It's, it's a different kind of life that he gives to us. So with that, each of these, um, the, the branches and what he's going to talk about tonight is the friendship that we have with God. Um, each of those things has a privilege and it has a responsibility. So as the vine, our privilege is we are sharing the life of Christ. He gives us his life, and by his life, it produces new life in us, and, and we have that privilege. Our responsibility on this side is to remain or to abide in Christ, and we define what that was. That's a, a very Bible word. It's a very Christian word. Uh, you know, abide in Jesus, all of um, you know, like a pen that says like abide and coffee cups are like abide in Christ. It really doesn't really transfer outside of Christianity. We're like, yeah, I'm going to go abide tonight at my house. You know, it's not something that we use in a day-to-day -day vernacular. So we define what that was. It means to stay connected, to dwell, to fellowship with. And we talked about how Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, right? It's this idea of staying connected to Christ. And as, as the wonderful life of Jesus flows through us, it's our responsibility, it's on us to stay as close as we can or to be connected to him as close as we can and, and that the life of Christ would flow through us. Um, and so with friendship that we're going to talk about tonight, that Jesus redefines our relationship with him, not of one of slave and master, but of friend. He's going to say that there is a privilege to that. But with that privilege also comes a responsibility. And in verse, um, in verse 9, but before we move into verse 9, it's, uh, I want to read you a quote by Vance Havner one of my favorite authors and pastors, he says, our relationship is fixed, but our fellowship with him depends upon whether we abide in him as we ought. This abiding is not a tense and strained affair, but an utter dependence upon him for every need, feeding upon him, drawing from him as the branch from the vine, all our strength and security. And so tonight we move into the relationship of friendship to the Lord. And it begins really in verse 15. And we're going to kind of backtrack through this, this verse or, or through these things. But in verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He makes a distinction. That there's now a change in relationship. So he says, no longer is it a slave-master relationship. It's a different kind. Because a slave is expected to obey his master whether or not he agrees or understands the command. It's not his job to question the command or, or to you know, figure out a new way or a strategy to, to maintain it. He just simply receives it and he does it. And it's expected that he would do it. No questioning. 
A slave is expected to obey his master, whether he agrees or he understands. But Jesus says there's a change of relationship where I now call you friend. And it's that Greek word, it's the word phileo. It's where we get our word or, or our city, Philadelphia, comes from that Greek word meaning the city of brotherly love, right? That's what Philadelphia is known for. It's what it means. This idea of friendship, of closeness, of relationship. It's not just you receiving a command and a book of rules and doing it without question or without any you know, thought of it. You just are supposed to do it. He says, I call you friend because Jesus says, I've unveiled myself to you. What the father has given to me, I have given to you. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. He's on a need to know basis, but a friend is brought in on a close, like he's brought in close. Anyone who, who desires to have friends at some point, just like a practical thing here. If you desire to have friends, how many of you desire to have friends? Good, that's, that's a great desire. So you're like, no, never, absolutely, I'm fine by myself. I'm kind of that way now, um, getting a little grumpier in my old age where I'm like, I don't really care. Uh, you want to be my friend? Fine, I have a wife. And she's my, my friend, that's all I need. And my kids, they have to be my friend. So, um, you know, but, but there's like a part of us that like, we want friendship. If you don't want friendship or if you are at this place where you're like, oh, no one likes me, it's, I want friends or whatever. If you desire that, at some point you have to make yourself vulnerable to be hurt by people. The Bible says he who desires to have friends must first be friendly. You're like, that's revolutionary. That's amazing. I had no idea. Like it's that simple. The idea is that you have to get outside of self and to put yourself out there. And that for a lot of people gives them social anxiety, right? There's this potential that someone could stab you in the back, or if we get too close, that information that I share could be used against me. I want you to know tonight that Jesus is not that kind of fair weather friend. All of us have had relationship strains and friendship, you know, friendships deteriorate and things like that. And I don't know if, you know, what your friendship context is, but I'm sure that you've been hurt by someone that, called, that you once called friend, right? And you're like, we're not friends anymore. And now it's such like a crazy thing where you're like, unfollow. And, and there's like such, so crazy. I don't know, I, I feel like I'm so removed from that. I'm like a little bit older, but it's still a thing where you're like, oh, that hurts a little bit. Like, why don't you want to see pictures of my puppy or my kids anymore? That hurts my feelings. And we associate, like, even that social connection with true friendship, right? You're like, I have a thousand Facebook friends. But here's the point to all of that. It's, a, it's, it's not exactly a closeness that's really existing, is it? That we're more connected than we've ever been It's through globalization and all that. We have more of a reach into other countries and friendships around the world. But yet we're so incredibly lonely. Because closeness and friendship, it hinges on the fact that you are willing to put yourself out there to be vulnerable with someone else. And with every kind of social media and things like that, you don't have to do any of that. You can just coast, you can criticize from a distance, you can filter, you can whatever, you can make it look like you have this friendship and closeness and what we call community or fellowship and all of this and really we're more and more, people are incredibly lonely because we lost what friendship really is. Jesus redefines for us what friendship looks like. 
He says, friendship is closeness. It's, it's this idea of sharing your life with someone. It's this amazing thing that Jesus does where he makes himself vulnerable to be cut, even to the point where he's cut upon the cross, that his, his side is pierced for us. He offered himself to humanity and said, I'm here not to call you slave and to bring you under my kingdom against your will, but I offer myself to you freely as a friend and we crucified him for it. So if you're like, well, no one understands my situation. No one understands like how Jesus understands what it's like to, number one, be betrayed, right? It just happened like a chapter or two ago. In our case, like seven weeks ago. <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, in that context, like it happened in chapter 13. He's betrayed by someone he's been walking life with for three years, who he called friend, who he washed his feet, who he spent time with, he did miracles with, they did ministry together, there was healings, there was all of these things that Jesus did with this guy and he turned his back on him and betrayed him. And he betrayed him with a kiss. He took that closeness and that unveiling of himself and he used it against Jesus and sold him out for a couple pieces of change. So if you're thinking tonight like, ah oh, man, I just... Where does friendship line up in scripture? Right here. Where God offers himself to us and says, this is what friendship looks like. It's something of closeness. It's something of vulnerability. And God says, this is what friendship is to look like for us. Um, you can't have deep, meaningful relationship or friendships unless you're willing to be vulnerable, to, open, to be open or to be honest. That's how relationships grow. That's how they become real and go past something superficial. And so God offers that to us. He says, no longer do I call you a servant, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. I've revealed it to you. Every, God's plan, God's purpose, everything, the mission of God, the purpose of God in our lives. He says, I've, I've given that to you. I've shown you that in hopes that, in helping them to understand that the relationship that we have with God is something that is unique. It is incredibly unique that God does not call a slave and, and, try and says to us, you will reach me by, by keeping these commands. And if you don't keep these commands, then I'll have nothing to do with you. He says, we are friends. And notice this happened before the cross. This happens pre-blood. He offered himself to them and says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to lay my life down, not just for my friends, but I'm going to lay my life down for my enemies and those that hate me. Jesus models for us always what he commands of us. So when he says to us, I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, earlier in the chapter, if you go back, um, verse, verse 9, it says, As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Right? It means to stay in that constant state where he says, abide in my love for you. Dwell in that place that I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus. He loves me. He cares for me. Staying under that, that umbrella, Ella, under that, that, that 
you know, safe place that God loves me and he cares for me. Stay connected to that, always abounding in that. Not that I'm saved because of anything that I've done or anything that I, I can do, but because God simply loves me. Staying in that place, always preaching the gospel to ourselves. I'm saved by grace, by faith, not of works lest any man should boast, right? That's abiding in the love of Jesus. Staying under that covering. And he says, and if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I was thinking about this earlier this week. And you've ever had that friend, I'm going to go back to the, the pains of the playground, where you had that friend who would boss you around, and they're like, you're not my friend if you don't do what I say. Remember that? Like, <laughs> that kid is like, come on, we're going to play lava monster. And you're like, well, I kind of wanted to play soccer. And they're like, you're not even my friend. And you're like... Well, I don't think it really comes down to that. I think we're closer than we think here. Like, does it really come down to me just doing whatever you say? That's not real friendship, right? Like, no. Like, I remember as a kid, like, you're not my friend. I was like, that was cool. There's a lot of other kids out here, and I just really don't care. Like, I'd rather play soccer. You know, it just wasn't that big deal. But I felt like it was the, more the girls. And I, my daughter right now, she's um, seven. And so at school, they're like, she's like, I really just wanted to play puppies. And like, no one wanted to play puppies with me. And I'm like, I'll play puppies with you. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to play puppies with you? You're adorable. You know, like, and we're like, my friends wouldn't play with me at recess. Well, I'm like, and we have to work through this. Like, were you being the one who's like, you have to play puppies with me? And I mean, I'm not going to play with you. If you, know, you know, we had to understand where that's coming from. When Jesus says here that if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. A lot of people disconnect that and say, how can that be? Like, how can it, that theologically be correct? How can love and obedience coexist? Well, he calls us friend. That is the privilege because God has unveiled himself to us and revealed himself to us. Now, the responsibility then is to come under the authority of God and to say yes to his word. That is the responsibility of the friend. Of God. Not out of, again, not out of compulsion uh, of anything other than the fact that we understand that God loves us. And in His perfect love, if we're abiding in His love, we will carry out His commands. He says this in, um, in the end of verse 10 He says, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So you see, what he tells us to do, he first modeled for us. What he asks of us and commands of us, he did it first. He says, you need to stay in my love, abide in my love for you, and keep my commandments just as I have done and modeled for you. I've kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. And I love that Jesus never asks us to do something that he himself did not first do. You ever, has that ever happened to you? You tell someone to do something, they're like, why? Why don't you do it? And you're like, because I don't want to. You should do it. I do this to my kids all the time. Like, can you? Oh, anyway, now it's a terrible analogy. But um, you get the point. When Jesus commands us to do something, he first modeled it for us. He did it first. And he's saying, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the model that we model our life after. And if I love him and I desire to abide in his love, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep his commands. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, but you do not do as I tell you? 
Because lordship, it, it, it communicates authority over your life. So if you're saying, Jesus is my Lord, but you don't do what he says, he's not really your Lord. Words mean nothing in that sense. When you say that someone is above you and your Lord and he's the one who, who's ultimate authority, if you don't come under that authority, then is he really your Lord? And he says to us, these things I've spoken to you that your joy may be full. He, he's giving us this instruction, not so that our life can be just this incredibly difficult, straining thing where like, I'm just trying to abide in his love. Like where you're just stressed out trying to figure this thing out. Do you realize the simplicity of it? Where he says, if you want to abide in the love of God, keep the commands of God. And that's not where we're, we're sitting here going, what does he mean by that? That's a puzzler. It means exactly what it says. That if you love him, you'll keep his commands. You'll be true to him. If you call him Lord and he's the authority and you love him, understand that his commands for our life are for our good, that our joy may be full. It's not that our life would be constrained and constricted. It's that our joy will remain in us. I don't know if you've ever had your joy stolen from you, like on a Monday, just because it's Monday. And you're like, man, I gotta go to work. Has that ever happened to you? We're like, ah, I don't want to go to work. There are times where I don't even, I don't want to go to work. I work at a church. I work for the Lord. And there are times where I'm looking out the window here in San Juan and I'm like, it's such a beautiful day. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to, I don't want to. Or you just have your joy being stolen from you as you open up your, your phone and you're still laying in bed and that's the first thing you look at is some negative thing and you're like, oh man, the world sucks. Or whatever, or like bees are dying everywhere. Like, of course it is. And you become all cynical and like bummed out. You're just immediately discouraged. And you're, what's happening? The devil is, is seeking to just rob you of all that God has blessed us with. Like right be before, if he could do it before you even get out of bed, he's won. And that's what he seeks to do. You remember when Peter was, he told the Lord, I'll never deny you. Like, I'm, we're going, to, I don't want to get to, we're coming to that. He's like, I'll never deny you, Lord. And Jesus says to him, Peter, the devil is asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you. It was a real reality moment where he's like, listen, the devil's, he wants you. And what he wants to do is to take your, he wants to take you and he wants to sift you through. And what's left on top is your faith and he wants to steal it. He just wants to take it from you. And that's what the devil does. He robs us of our faith. He robs us of our joy. And Jesus says, I've given you these commands because that's what sin does. It promises joy. It promises satisfaction instantly. It promises all these things. But what it leaves us with is a consistent, long-lasting removal of joy in our life. When Jesus says, if you love me, if you trust me, do as I say, because what will happen is your joy will remain and it will overflow. Isn't that amazing? These instructions are for our good. And if you boil sin down, the essence of sin is a lack of trust in the goodness of God. 
When Eve was in the garden and the serpent says to her, you will, you know, he, he tempts her with these things and he says to her like, yeah, God just is holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. Did God really say that you would die? Is that really going to happen? She then thinks, well, maybe that's true. Maybe God is holding out on me. Maybe God is, maybe God's lying to me. Maybe God's not as good as he says that he is. And when she does that, she then takes of the fruit and she eats it because she does not believe that God is good. And that, ultimately, that's the essence of sin. It boils down to that, is, is a, a lack of faith in the goodness of God. So, these things I've written to you that Jeremy before. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friend for the things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. And this is the part that's pretty incredible. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. This friendship that God invites us to is a friendship that is initiated by God. It's something that he does. It's something that he pursued first. He says to we're not friends because you chose to be my friend. <laughs> it sounds really funny. Are we friends? Uh, but he didn't, you know, we didn't choose him. He chose us in his sovereignty. I chose you and appointed you that you should go. He says, I chose you to be my friend first. God's the one who initiated. He could have kept his relationship with him a purely slave-master relationship. But he is the one who chose to link himself to us in this way. It's his sovereign will and choice. God chose us. He desires to be with you. If you're having a bummer of a day, like think about that for a second. You're like, well, they don't want to be with me, but Jesus does. So much so that he died for you even when you didn't like him and wanted nothing to do with him. This is something of the grace of God and the goodness of God, the love of God, helping us to understand this is what God desires, a relationship with us, not just rules, like not just keeping rules. If you're coming to church so that you can be a good Christian kid, like, or young person or adult, like, or whatever you would classify yourself, but you're just going to church and doing the rules. You're like, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to, I want to be a good person. Fine. But you're missing out on this whole thing. You're missing the point. Christianity is not about just keeping rules. It's about the fact that Christ died for our sins and gave us victory over the flesh, saved us from hell, and therefore has given me newness of life that I have now the power to say no to sin and walk in newness of life. That's what Christianity is about. It's not about what I can't do. It's about what you've been set free from. And so often we look at sin and go, well, but it's so great. It's so fun. It's so awesome. It's because we don't see sin for what it is. It is the thing that has separated us from a relationship with God. And it is the thing that will drag us to the pit of hell. And it will ruin our life. And some people are like, it's not that bad. Listen, a little poison is still poison. That's what sin is. And sometimes I can find myself like, God, why do you have to be so rigid? Like, why can't you just relax? Relax. 
Like, is it really that big a deal? And God says, absolutely, it's a big deal. If my son tonight was like, Dad, I just want to drink a 40. Like, is it really that big a deal? It is a big deal. Like, yes, it is absolutely a big deal. But you're right here with me. Why is it a big deal? It is a big deal. Because who knows what effect that will have on the rest of your life. And so often that's how we play with sin. Like, is it really that big a deal? We grab sin by the tail and we're thinking like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just the tail. There was this amazing story I heard one time of a, a little girl walking through a forest. And um, as she's walking through the forest, a snake pops up and starts talking to her. And <laughs> it's fictitious, but just follow with me, okay? So she's walking through the forest. A snake is like, excuse me. And he starts to talk to this girl. And she's startled, of course. It's a rattlesnake. And she's like, um, scary. And the snake's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not what you think, okay? I'm freezing to death. Would you mind picking me up and putting me into your jacket so I could warm up a little bit? She's like, I'm about to die out here. And she's like, no, of course not. You're a snake. I'm not putting you in my jacket. And he's like, I promise, promise that I won't bite you. I haven't bitten anyone in a long time. In fact, I'm seeing a, a, a doctor about it, and I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm five months sober on this whole biting thing. I promise you, like, I have control over my fangs. I promise I won't, I won't bite you. And she begins to reason with this snake. And she says, okay, on one, you promise me you won't bite me. The snake says, yeah. So she picks up the snake and puts him into her jacket. And as soon as she puts him into her jacket, she feels the fangs sink into her wrist. And the poison begin to inject into her blood. And she shakes the snake off and throws it on the ground. And she says, you promised, you promised me that you wouldn't bite me. And the snake says to her, you knew what I was when you picked me up. And that is what sin is. We know exactly what it is. And the devil causes us to reason with it and make excuse for it and make place for it. And then we pick it up and it bites us and we go, I can't believe this. God, where were you? How come you let this happen to me? And he says, you knew what it was when you picked it up. I've told you, if you love me, trust me, keep my commands. Sin is what it is and it does exactly what it does every time. Sometimes it just takes longer. It has its effect. It will kill you eventually. But God's the one who chose to make his friend, uh, us his friends. And he says to us, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. You should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, should remain. That whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. When Jesus talks about this closeness and this friendship, I hope we understand here that there are no shortcuts when it comes to having an intimate relationship with people and there's no shortcut when it comes to having an intimate relationship with God and that is the key is time spent. There's no shortcut. Like if you want to have a relationship with God, a good relationship with God, like any other good relationship, you must cultivate time with him. There's no other secret passageway, no other app like widget that you can just press and you're like, boom, 
intimate with God. Like, it doesn't work. There is no shortcut. It is simply time with him. And someone once said, I, I think it was uh, J.P. Phillips, he said, each man is as full of the spirit and as close to God as he desires. So you see, we have this wonderful gift of access to God. We have his life flowing through us. This is the, the wonderful gift that he has given us and the privilege. Now the responsibility is abide in him, obey him, and there will be intimacy with God. There will be closeness with him. And he offers this friendship to us, to those that are sinners. You know, people uh, used to talk trash about Jesus, how he hung out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And we're like, oh man, that's so crazy. That's so cool. Do you know he still does it today? You and me, still doing it. It hasn't changed. What he did on earth, he modeled for us is this is what he was doing. We're like, wow, that's crazy. Still doing it. He still hangs out with you every day. He still desires to draw you close. And you're like, man, but I'm a sinner. Exactly, exactly. That's who he longs to be with, us. And he says to us, the last thing, these things I command you. Now, when you come to those things in the Bible where it says, this I command you, these are things you want to like highlight, write down, underline. God, what do you want me to do with my life? Here's one of them. <laughs> Love one another. Now, these are instructions that I can follow. There's no like secret passage or like some secret Bible map where we're like trying to find God's will for our life. This is it right here. Here's what does God want us to do? He wants us to love one another, to befriend one another because Christ has befriended us, to dwell in a relationship with each other, to not allow sin, to not allow bitterness, to not allow envy, to destroy fellowship with one another just like we wouldn't allow it to destroy our, our relationship with God. We're called to love each other. And he says, love each other the way that I have loved you. Aren't you, aren't you just so, I don't know, when I, I'm always encouraged when the disciples do stupid things and say stupid things. And Jesus just so lovingly is like, oh, you guys are so cute. Um, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Um, thanks for sending your mom. You remember that part when Peter and John were like, mom, go talk to Jesus for us. And they're like, you know, Jesus, <laughs> that's a great move. You know, like, Jesus, can my, my son sit with you when you're a king? One on your right, one on your left? Like, no big deal. Just in the places of authority and honor. What do you think? They're great. Look at them, you know. And Jesus just so lovingly, like, you have no idea what you, you're asking. Right? Isn't this just so, so fun? Like, oh, that's cute. You don't know what you're doing, right? Oh, <laughs> good try. That's just wonderful. And just God's patience and kindness with those that were closest to him. It's amazing to me that you can hurt the people that are closest to you. But that's how you know that you're close. Because life is ugly and people are sinners and therefore you hurt the people that are closest to you. It's just, that's how it goes. I've hurt my wife's feelings in ways that I've never hurt any of your feelings. I'm pretty sure. Or like, I've, I've hurt her feelings to the point of where she's crying and I'm like, that feels horrible because I love her the most. No offense, but I love my wife way more than you. Way more than you, right? And it should be that way. I know you're looking at me surprised, Josh, but <laughs> it's true. Like, and it should be that way, right? But, but I've hurt her in ways that I've never hurt any of you because I'm closest to her. 
And, and what I'm saying, and I'm getting, I'm getting to this point here, you have to have grace for one another if we're gonna dwell in relationship with one another. We have to have supernatural grace and forgiveness for one another if we're gonna love each other and be close to each other the way that God is calling us to. Because Jesus says, this is the way that I have loved you. This is the model. This is the, the example. This is the pattern. As I have learned from my father, that is the pattern. I now have laid a pattern for you. So, this last part, he says, the world hates you. And just to encourage you, like the world hates you. If, if you are in a job or in a situation where no one likes you, and it's not just because you're a jerk, it's, it's, it's not because you're obnoxious. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, I can't believe they don't like me. Well, it's kind of because you're a jerk. And, and maybe you should lighten up and like be nice. Be nice to people. You know, bring your attitude way down. Be nice to people and see what happens. You know, it, it's not on you, but you're just like, guess what? They hated Jesus too. If they hate you because you stand for righteousness, Jesus says, welcome to the club. A servant is not greater than his master. He says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus is, again, just destroying the fact that Christian life is going to be this easy, you know, gummy bear drop, squishy, cush life. It's not. That's why he said, pick up your cross and follow me. If they hated me, the savior of the world... Don't you think they're going to hate his followers as well? But Jesus doesn't just leave us hanging there. He tells us, be of courage. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled which is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says, take heart, the Holy Spirit is coming. Don't be afraid, the Holy Spirit is coming. And we now live in that place. We have been empowered by the Holy, or we've been given the opportunity to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. God offers his helper, his comforter, if you're going through persecution, experiencing like, man, I just I feel like I'm being hated by like the world that I'm in and the, and the place that I'm in. Dude, that's probably good. It's probably a good thing. Someone once said, that, you know, the worst compliment you could receive from the world is, hey, you're just like us. Like, I'm glad to be, you know, Christians are cool. You're just like me. You're just as foul-mouthed and, and just as, you know, awful as I am. Cool. So I can have God and do everything that I'm always doing. Like, yeah, cool, right on. Like, what's the difference? Do you realize how un, like, unattractive that is to the world? Because the world is desiring, like, I want out of this. I want something different. Why would I, why would I take what you have if you're just like me? Why do I need it? And so Jesus is saying, if they're hating you, that's a, hey, take heart. It's because they hated me and because they, they hate me, you're imitating me and that's why. It's because they hate Jesus. Don't take it personally. They hate Jesus, not you. And he says, be of courage, man. The Holy Spirit's coming. And that's what we have to empower us in the, in the world we live in. Um, and the last thing, and I promise I'll be done. 
nope, we'll do it next week. Because I just turned off my iPad and it died. So I'll tell you next week. Gospel of John, it's like heavy stuff. Right on. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We ask God that you would uh, continue to write these things upon our hearts and give us understanding in our mind of, of what it is to be a follower of you, what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And God, we're so thankful that you don't leave us to our own devices, but you give us your Holy Spirit who indwells us, who empowers us, who strengthens us, who guides us. And Lord, tonight we pray that you'd help us um, to model what it is to, to love Jesus, to, that the life of Christ would come, come from us. And Lord, as your word tells us that um, to bear fruit in this life is to bring glory to God. It glorifies you. And so, Lord, that's what we want to do. We want to bear fruit as your life comes through us, that all glory would be given back to you because of the way that you've changed us and the way that you've you've um, made us new. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, I pray that anything that, that I've said tonight, that it, maybe it came off harsh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would cover it with grace. And um, Lord, that you would again remind us that you're a God who loves us with not just um, kindness, but Lord, you love us with truth. And so, Lord, you tell us the truth. We love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hard in the sun.